This is the Great Escape Podcast, episode 19. We are go for liftoff in T minus 30. All systems are the On this episode, I'm talking to Kenny Weiss, who has founded the Greatness Movement, which I have to say, Kenny, is a name I just love. There's no subtlety about that. And your own story mirrors some of mine in a number of ways with struggling with mental health and addiction and various other things. So, Kenny, tell us about your life before that process kicked in. Sure. Um, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, it, I'll try and give you the, I guess, the Cliff Notes Reader's Digest version, if that, if they have those out in, in England and <laughs> you're part of the world. But um Ever since I was a kid, I, I just always had this weird ability. I can walk in a room and see and feel people's trauma. I don't, I've heard people use a lot of different names for it. I don't know what it is, but I don't really care what you name it. It's just something I always had. And um, what really kind of changed my life is I was 10 years old. I woke up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom, open up the door, and there's my mom passed out naked on the toilet. She's an alcoholic. Now, my parents were 16 and 18 when they were married, 21 and 23 with four kids. So my parents were kids. You know, my mom had been abused and grew up in an alcoholic family. My dad was physically abused. So you have two broken people. We teach nothing in, in any culture about how to be a parent or how to have relationships. My mom should have been a crack addict, you know, that young with four kids. So but because we don't teach any of this stuff, my parents couldn't help me either. So from there, I became an alcoholic, sex addict, spending addict, sugar addict, tobacco addict, love addict. As you said, I went through two horrific divorces, one where she was physically and verbally abusive, a bankruptcy. I played two professional sports, both hockey and golf, that I see now I never wanted to play. And ultimately, I spent three days holed up in my apartment contemplating suicide. I was trying to write a note to my kids and I could describe how much pain I was in. That was easy. But when it came to justifying the choice, I had a problem because since my early 20s, I've been researching, one, why am I such a train wreck? You know, my life's a mess. What causes all this? Why do I have this ability to feel and what do I do with all that? Um, so whether it was counseling or reading or seminars, I, I studied my tail off for God, at that point, it had been almost 30 years. And the problem was, is I went to justify the choice. I knew too much psychology. Everything I'd write, I'm like, ah, that's transference. That's codependence. Like, I couldn't come up with the justification that wouldn't leave all my pain at my kid's feet. <laughs> Another realization hit me at that point of after all these years of studying and reading and working with counselors. Why am I here? Like there's something inherently wrong with that. I've worked my tail off to overcome addictions and all these different things, yet I'm still here. And I realized there's a tremendous gap in the personal development, mental health, whatever it is you wanna call it, field. So I went back into my office and I wrote down, I wanna come up with a process that nobody else has discovered that'll fundamentally change society. Well, that that became, you know, at that point, what I really, I had these instincts because of my ability to feel about why myself and others do what they do. And I doubled down really on the science, how the brain and body works and 
of a sudden I, I found proof connections that I haven't heard anybody ever make. And I'm like, I can't be this smart, <laughs> you know? I mean, maybe there's some of that. Maybe I've just, you know, that's what we all do. We build on other people. So maybe there's some of that, but I do think there's some fear around talking about, you know, there's a cycle I discovered that I write about in my book. And I think people are afraid to talk about it. And I'll just give you one instance of how I found something deeper. I just got an email on LinkedIn from a guy from New Zealand. And he ran across a video of mine on stress a year ago. And he wrote me this long email of, you have no idea how much you've changed my life and my friends' lives. And so when you see those books bought in New Zealand, it's for me and everyone I've talked to. I've always wondered, I get these reports. I'm like, who the hell found me in New Zealand? Um, but everyone talks about stress and they don't give you what's really going on. This is the gap. The clinical definition for both stress and anxiety is fear. Whenever you feel stressed or anxious, you're in white hot fear. Well, nobody wants to say that because think of it. If I tell you I'm stressed, what does it mean? It probably means we have this cultural dynamic. It means I work more than you. I'm a better husband or wife. I do so much. I'm a great parent. I'm stressed. In other words, it's a falsely empowering term. But if I tell you I'm, a, I'm scared and afraid, oh my God, we can't admit that. Well, the next step is, is how does everyone describe fear? What to do with fear? Well, think of the night commercial, just do it, right? In other words, use anger to push yourself through it. Well, anger is always a mask for fear. I've never heard anyone ever describe one, that stress is fear, and two, what fear is. Fear in any situation is always either the fear of rejection, the fear of inadequacy. In other words, I don't think I have the skills, tools, or knowledge to do something, or the fear of powerlessness. So my clients or people that read my book or come across my stuff, now you know, whenever you're stressed or anxious, wait a minute, I give you a whole list of questions and a whole process to go through so you can identify if it's rejection, that's a self-esteem issue. I'm looking outside of myself for validation. Inadequacy, skills, tools, and knowledge, that's the easiest fear to fix. So like us trying to sign the, get onto the show, I felt a bit inadequate. <laughs> the link didn't work. I don't have the skills, tools, and knowledge to use your platform. Well, that's an easy one. I could have, you know, gone and researched how this platform works. The fear will go away. The most difficult and the most common is powerlessness. And that comes from childhood. We were never allowed to say no. Think of it. If our parents gave a demand, we had to give up who we were for the to create attachment. And so we don't know how to say no. Almost all powerlessness is the inability to say no. There's much more to it. I don't want to take up your whole show because that's what it would take to dive into each of these. But there's just some little examples of things I found that I haven't seen anybody, whether it's a therapist, a medical doctor, a, a coach like myself, anybody ever talk about. And so, you know, the, the people that tend to gravitate towards my stuff, they've done all the other stuff. Their life has improved. They're getting better. They've seen value, but they're like me. They're like, wait a minute. There's more to this. What is it? And they find my stuff and they go, oh, my God, this guy talks about the stuff nobody wants to talk about. So that's kind of, you know, the basic story and how I got here in front of you. OK, you kind of skipped a whole transformational mindset piece where at one point you're sitting in your office thinking 
I'm going to take my own life. And you know, I've been there. Sure. So I understand that one. And in a way, you described how trying to write that suicide note to your children. Now, I, w- I was a coward. I couldn't even write the suicide note. I was just out to go do it. I yeah. dodged that whole issue. And you said be- it was because you couldn't find the right words to do it that you decided not to do it. Was that what led to that? Yeah. I, I, again, what saved my life was all the personal growth work I'd done. I couldn't outrun the truth of how I was avoiding still, even all those years of recovery work, I was avoiding aspects of it. I didn't want to face it. Yeah. And And that's, I don't care whether your business is suffering, your relationship is suffering. It's all trauma-based. The the evidence is overwhelming. It's it's environment. It's not genetic. It it happened in your childhood. And that's everybody. Over 80% of people say, oh, my childhood was great. I'll ask them one question. And here's the question. When you were a child, if you ever felt sad, angry, or scared, it's something your parents did or said. In that moment, could you ever voice your opinion or your feelings? Not a single person has ever said, oh my God, yeah, we could talk about it. No, our parents squash us. And so we all have sacrificed authenticity, who we really are, for attachment. And that creates trauma. And then we relive it constantly. I That's the cycle. Every choice we ever make, we're reliving our trauma because in that moment we became powerless. All right. And so to reclaim that power, the reason we all choose such bad marriages and everything is because we get our power back. Because think of it. I don't like my first wife with the abuse. I see now I picked her because she reminded me of the abuse. I went through my older brother and my dad. But see, I chose it this time. I couldn't do anything about it as a child. That's the false empowerment we all seek. And so I was formulating these ideas and understandings. And that's what I ran up against of, man, I'm creating my own pain. And I'm trying to dump it on my kids. I'm still running from it. I can't do that. I I just, so that's why the greatness movement started is people don't realize because we don't teach this stuff, we're doing it to ourselves. And that I was like, I I realize now I have no other option. I have enough. I had built up enough self-esteem through the work I'd done to recognize, okay, I think one of your questions is belief. Wait a minute. I can do this. Yeah. That, and and that's, that was the, that's a key thing. Yeah. Yeah. I had, and, and the only way you gain that self-esteem is by confronting your denial of these truths of, oh my God, I'm not who I think I am. I am actually the sole creator of all this. And when when you are able to start accepting those parts of yourself, you find your authenticity, your self-esteem. And see, I'd gathered enough that I could absorb the blow, the realization, the the confronting of my denial that, oh my God, it's not my ex-wife. It's not all these horrible things that have happened to me. It's me. And I have to face that. And the only way I can outrun this suicide and all this pain is literally, I have to become an expert in my pain. That's it. And I I can sit with anyone and in two seconds, it's universal. What I've discovered is not a personality type. It's a human dynamic. Every single person lives their life by. They're just completely unaware of it because we don't teach it. Yeah, absolutely. 
And so for you, that belief that you could make that change actually came out of that understanding that something had to change. It, it all happened almost in the same moment for yeah, you. It was exactly. That's a great way of saying it. You know, kind of two or three of your sentinel questions happened in one moment. Yeah. They weren't separate events. They were, you know, realization, but they were born out of years of investigating how hurt I am, how broken I am, how imperfect I am. And the the slow acceptance of, yes, this was created in childhood. I'm not responsible for that. But I, I use an analogy in my book. I talk about, you know, if you're walking down the street doing nothing and you're just, and you're shot by a sniper, you have a choice. You can lay there and claim the victim, go, I didn't deserve this. This isn't my fault. And, and you can lay on the sidewalk and bleed out and die. And that's what most people choose in life. But the bottom line is you're sitting there with a hole in your leg bleeding. It's still your responsibility to get up find a way to the hospital, get the bullet extracted and do the physical therapy work. But our culture promotes laying on the sidewalk because most of us aren't taught how to get up off the sidewalk, get to the hospital and get through the recovery process. It's all placed on genetics and disease. Like it's all this stuff that, oh, I, there's nothing I can do. It just happened to me. And, and I have no resources. And that's just not true. It's a false narrative. But look at what I'm asking people to give up. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we become addicted to our pain. We become addicted to therapy. Uh, and I remember that moment for yeah. myself when I was uh, walking down the corridor to my therapist's room. Yeah. And she was walking along in front of me. And I was looking at the back of her head and I just thought, you know what, we could spend months going round and round this circle and nothing's going to happen. I'm not going to get better. I'm going to end up back in this place until I actually start really engaging. You know, she was a good therapist, yeah. but I have to engage with the process in order to get Amen. better. And you know, we all know somebody who kind of professional therapy uh, patient, yeah. You know, I exist because I go to therapy almost. With transference bonds, I didn't have a bond. I didn't have a, you know consoling parent, so now I just use the therapist. But yeah, yeah. Hey, it's a whole lot more expensive. <laughs> yeah, but I still don't have to confront me and confront my denial yeah. and and all the ways I'm saying. And that's what I mean. Most people, it's a subconscious thing. Like they don't want. No one knows about. Well, not no one, but very few people know about the cycle I discovered. They and the people that find it, they're like, "Oh my God, this explains everything." Whereas I've been to all these events from these great people that we all know, and yes, it felt good and stuff, but it never really got me anywhere. Um, yeah, there's a lot of very short-term change. Yeah, it's, I call them adrenaline events. I tell everyone to go because you're going to learn something and you're going to walk out feeling amazing. And every person afterwards is going to tell you what a great experience it was. I want you to have those. But if you want to recover, if you want to be what I call your greatest version of yourself, that model will never work. This process takes time. You're not going to transform your life in a three-day weekend like they all promise you. It can't happen. No, and for those people for whom that transformation does happen, they've already made most of the journey Yeah. by the time they get to that weekend. That weekend was something that tipped them over the edge rather than that got them up the mountain in the first yeah. place. Yeah, or it, or it just opened up an aspect of it, but they're they're not done. Our brain cannot process all the information they give you in a three-day weekend. 
it's overwhelming. You yeah. just can't absorb it. So you've gone back to your office. You've begun this thinking around the greatness movement. And what was it that led you, you know, how long was that process from, I have this, this beginnings of an idea to where you actually could see where it was going to go to? Yeah, it was about a year. I went in hibernation. Literally, I, I didn't talk to people. I just go for walks. And I started asking myself questions. I, you know, we all, whenever we're in pain, we kind of ask the same questions. Why, how, you know, and, and I started going, like really challenging myself and asking the most absurd question you could ever ask instead of like, why am I here? Why aren't I? Why aren't I here? Why isn't this great? Like who asks that when you're in massive pain? That's the last question you'd ask. What do I like about this? What do you mean? I like nothing really. And, and so I, I started to challenge that and, and it was like literally epiphany after epiphany. And then I really, like I said, I got into brain and body research and all of a sudden I started finding studies and, and, you know, you know, understanding more about how the brain and body talk to each other. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm dead on. And how has nobody ever put this together or talked about this? Think of addiction. Not everybody's, you know, alcohol, they say is addictive. Well, why isn't everybody an alcoholic? That's trauma-based, you know, whether it's, I mean, there's studies on, on crystal meth. Not everyone gets addicted, even though it's the most addictive drug out there. So there are all these truths. But again, we have to give up that victim culture that says it's outside of me. And, yeah. and yeah, yeah. also that parental dynamic, we're all raised, oh my God, my parents are perfect. And I talk about, you know, that's part of the shame and denial aspect of my cycle. I talk about we, the only way to recover is we have to feel the rage. We have to feel the hurt and pain that everyone suffered in childhood. And until you go through that process, you don't find recovery. Yeah. And, and I think it's something, especially for, for men, uh, both in US culture and, and UK and European culture, there's a huge sort of suppression of being angry because what we see in the worst of manhood, and I know I have, we have lots of female listeners as well but in the worst of manhood you see angry men behaving atrociously and then there is no safe way for a man to be angry about his childhood or for it to be angry about pain he suffered in other ways because suddenly you get labeled as one of these atrociously behaving yeah men uh, especially in politics at the moment both sure. on both sides of the atlantic um without let me say that without being too political sure well there's a this huge kind of misunderstanding i talk about this a lot with the shift in in women's equality which i'm all for what you're seeing now is women struggling just like men you guys probably never saw this show being in in, in london or england but there was a show here growing up called all in the family a guy named archie bunker and his wife and she was completely submissive he denigrated her it was the typical 1950s 1960s man rules the house completely abused her okay that's what my generation grew up with well look at tv commercials and movies and everything now i don't know what it's like where you live but here in the u.s every single sitcom movie commercial on anything the man is a complete buffoon and an idiot, and the woman completely denigrates him and belittles him. 
what we've done in society in our attempt to elevate women is we've just stepped on men. Instead of both sides looking at their pain and their issues and growing together, they take sides and they step on each other. I don't know if you guys have the boss bitch movement out there, but there's a woman who wrote a book, you know, all the women are going to be bosses now. Well, her whole book is about how to shut down your feelings. It's like the guide to the 1950s male. And we have, you know, when Margaret Thatcher became the first female prime minister in the UK, there was a great deal of observation that actually she behaved very much like a man in order to, to make that work. I haven't heard anyone ever bring this topic up. But, you know, it, anyway, it, it's, it's fascinating for me to watch. Coming back to, to your process, the journey you, you've been on, you said it took you about a year to work out how life needed to become. Yeah. How long, or are you indeed, are you still on that journey? Is it, because life is a journey, it's very rare that we end up in a destination and say, you know, I have arrived. How long was it before you began to feel like life was actually in going in the direction you wanted it to? It, you're, you're right. The process never ends. You know, that's one of the myths in personal development, therapy, whatever you want, is everyone's, oh, in six months, I'll be better. You know, I've been at this for decades. And what does happen is you get the coping skills so that when situations come up, you can move through them and not lose yourself. But yes, during that year, because one of the big changes I talk about versus everyone else is what people don't realize is nearly every single choice you ever make isn't thought-based, it's feeling-based. It's how our brain and body works. And so everyone's out there promoting positive thinking, which for the most part is a waste of time. It, 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 you have to generate feelings, belief. You're, one of your questions is about belief. Well, think of it. Did you ever play sports growing up? I did a bit and I was really bad at it. Okay, did you take it? You've all taken a test, right, in school? Yeah, we've all done that. Sure. Do you remember the experience of, You've studied, gone to class, and you're, you know, walking towards the class before the, the test comes up, and you just know you're going to ace it. You're like, I've got this. I just, I can feel it. Like, you're talking positive. You're feeling positive. You go in and you nail it, right? We've all had that experience. Now, conversely, a week later, another test, you've done the same preparation, but as you walk toward that class, you're filled with dread. You're like, oh, no. Oh, I got to get sick. I got to get out of here. This isn't going to go well. And then you use what I call the night philosophy. Come on, you can do it. Start talking positive, right? You go in and you bomb it. Well, that's another thing I've never heard anyone talk about. I've read books on belief. Nobody's ever just explained the process and I just did it. What was the difference? Belief is when your feelings and your thoughts line up. Trying to talk yourself into belief is a waste of time. You have to shift the way you feel, yet nobody teaches you how to shift the way you feel. That's what my whole book is about. And that's the process I went through in that year was shifting the way I feel and recognizing becoming an expert. When any feeling came in, it created a thought that was negative or whatever. And then I could dive into that feeling, rework it and move through it. And so to further answer your question for gosh, two plus years, you know, nothing's really affected me right now as we're doing this. I'm going through this deep growth process. I've recognized in the last couple of weeks, oh my God, there's some hidden pain I wasn't aware of. And so literally over, you know, our independence, the 4th of July, about five days, most of my clients rescheduled. 
I pretty much spent five days just sitting in my house contemplating, mm -hmm. just trying to work through it. But see, again, because of the denial self-esteem process, I can sit there in that loneliness, emptiness, abandonment, pain, fear, all of that, and work the process. I now have the emotional stability to look at myself. And so does this feel bad? Is this bad? No, I have freedom now. I can, one, admit it to you, you know, all these different things. I don't have to hide behind it anymore. So yeah. that's the relief that comes. And actually, you, you bring up another question there. You talked about being okay in your own company, yeah, uh, which a lot of us aren't. Um, but also, how did the role of, of community help you through this journey as well have have you got a good community around you or did you have to build it from scratch or rebuild it from scratch because often when there's marriage breakup you, you you end up losing touch with a bunch of friends as well you have to rebuild it as you grow and those and those around you choose not to grow there's just a natural separation there's a loss and i don't consider see people use terms like that a loss wait, what am I losing? Pain, dysfunction, agony. I'm sorry, where's the loss? <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. <laughs> I'm gaining new connections. Yeah. So, you know, that that's one of our fears of doing any of this work. Oh my God, what am I going to lose? And I'm like, yeah, see, that's a feeling. Remember that goes back to that attachment authenticity bind in childhood. Wait a minute. If I become authentic, if I go find me, if I go do this work that Kenny's asking me to do, what am I going to lose? Attachment. I'll sacrifice anything for attachment. Well, the paradox is as we pursue our authenticity, what we actually find is the reattachment of ourselves and authentic attachment with our spouse, former spouse, whoever it may be, or new friends or whatever. All that we've been seeking throughout life, we get. But we've all, all, literally almost everything we've been taught in life, the answer's in the opposite. Just nobody yeah. told it. Yeah, absolutely. And I certainly, in terms of my first marriage, was so afraid of this disconnect that I, I stayed and it's going to work. It's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. Um, and that's, that would have shown up. I don't, you know, I don't want to do that to you, but that's a childhood dynamic. You learned that oh, yeah. with oh, yeah. mom and or dad or both. And so that's why you picked her to relive it to here's what people don't realize. I use the analogy of a 3d movie. If you ever watched a 3d movie without the glasses, everyone knows that experience it's distorted. The colors are off. It's all, you know, windy and twisty, but you kind of know what's going on. What people don't realize is every single choice you make, your friends, your hobbies, your partners, your careers, I know by your career what your childhood was like. Literally every single choice you ever make, you're reliving your trauma right in front of your eyes, screaming back at you what you need to address, overcome, and forgive yourself for. But nobody knows it because why? They're missing the glasses. Well, my book and the greatness movement, the programs I run, they're the glasses. And so all of a sudden you go, oh my God, this makes sense. And I've never seen a personal development program show you that uh, clearly. Like that was the key moment for me when I finished the book and I sat there and I started to argue with the cycle I wrote, I discovered and started throwing arguments at it. And I got chills because I went, 
oh my God, I don't care what you say, whatever argument you throw at it, I just give you your words back and go, how does trauma work? How does fear work? How does shame work? How does denial work? You're just describing, do you hear you're describing your process? Your whatever judgment or argument with me is your own jar argument with yourself. And you're literally talking to yourself like that 3D movie. And that's anyone who's kind of challenged me. I just give them their words back. I literally, I don't have to explain anything. They're, they're literally talking to themselves, trying to help themselves out of it. They just don't know it. And I think that's partly you know, where I came to with the six steps to freedom. It was like, you, you're going to bang into this the whole time yeah. until you work through this. So in a way we've, we've come at it from a, a different yeah. angle. You've gone into a bit more depth in terms of that childhood trauma stuff. Uh, I'm kind of at a higher level. Yeah with that um but it's yeah it's effectively we, we get to pick um and you spoke earlier about you know how how the sniper i mean i i crashed a light aircraft i'm lying in a field uh, my legs in pieces nobody's coming to help me yeah you know i can lie there and scream all i like yeah. nothing is happening yeah um how devastating first of all well hey it was my fault it was a bad landing <laughs> I get to blame nobody. I, I, yeah, I would, I would say that if you're in a field. <laughs> at any rate, my point, my point being, those moments are horrifically scary. Yeah. yeah. You know, is this thing about to catch on fire? And there is nobody going to get to me in time. Yeah. To stop that. And actually, it was one of the things that the uh, in the UK it's nine nine nine, in the US uh, you know nine one one. Yeah. In, in Europe, 112, you know, the emergency uh, telephone operator, you know, she, she said, for somebody who just crashed a light aircraft, you seem remarkably calm. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, it's it's all stopped moving and it's not on fire. <laughs> yeah. Panic serves nothing right now. You know, my response would have been, honey, you should have seen my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> this is a piece of cake compared yeah, to what people in those stressful situations are so calm is because they've grown up with such trauma and such fear, they don't even register it. And, and so most people are completely unaware how much pain and fear and trauma they're in because it becomes a regulatory system that they're, they've grown accustomed to. They're, they're just not aware. Yeah, and I think that's certainly evident when we see statistics. You know, recently, a stat came out in the UK where under the age of 55, suicide is the single largest cause of death for men under the age of 55. Yeah. Um, you know, because they're carrying this trauma and this inability to address it, yeah. inability to talk to anybody else about it. And it's one of the reasons why I'm so open about, you know, where I've been, yeah. um, just to try and help guys, you know, it's okay. You can talk about the fact yeah. and, and women, you know, that you feel like, Life makes no sense. Yeah. That's why I started the greatness movement. It has two purposes. The first one is, I, I say this all the time. I don't know if the same is true in, in Europe, but I'll say this in speeches. I'm like, I find it fascinating that your hair, something that no matter how badly it gets butchered, we demand, at least here in the US, that somebody have a license to cut our hair. The government won't even allow you near somebody's hair unless you have a license. But to be a parent, to have a relationship, emotions, not a single one of us ever takes a class on it. Now, I'm not advocating the government make us do that. I'm just saying, isn't that fascinating 
You can put your hair and it grows back fine. But the three things that determine everything in our life, nobody knows about, nobody wants to know about. They all go into the denial and, oh, I, I learned from parents. And I'll say this, like I set people up in a speech. I'm like, let me cut your hair. And they're like, no, you don't have experience. I'm like, what if I told you I've spent my life watching people do it? Is that enough? And they're like, no, I want you to take a class. And I'm like, isn't that funny? That's how we learn to parent. We all go, well, I watch my parents. I watch movies. We're perfectly fine learning that way. And that, so that's, that's why I want to give people the skills, tools, and knowledge. And the second more fundamental piece is to break down that fear, that bias, that denial in society that, oh my God, we need to go learn about this stuff. We need to face it because that's the real problem is what would society be like? if it was perfectly okay, male or female, for all of us to go become experts in the pain we all feel and suffer. You want to talk about any political, you've mentioned politics, guns, abortion, border issues, whatever. All you're seeing is stored childhood trauma. They're not even addressing the cause. You want to deal with those issues, go deal with people's pain. Those issues go away. I think that's really true. You know, and we've seen it with the whole Brexit thing. Yeah, yeah, I've been I've been watching some documentaries on that. I'm not a, but I've been interested in it. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating what they complete. Yeah, you know, whichever side of the argument you're on, sure, it's a complete mess. Yeah, uh, and it's because politicians are playing out their childhood traumas. Oh no, yeah, Trump or Clinton. Everyone calls Trump awful. Of course he's awful. Well, everyone call. You I mean look at Clinton? Was she any better? No. Why would anyone seek an office like that? Because they're in tremendous pain. That's what makes somebody seek politics. You know, just yeah. really, it, it's, they're just trying to get the power back they didn't have. And if you know Trump's history, if you know Clinton's history, they're just massively broken, hurt people. That's heartbreaking. It doesn't condone anyone's behavior. I'm not, I'm not saying they're not responsible for that. Let them off the hook. But all you're seeing is a two-year-old child screaming how much, how hurt they are. Well, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. And they're screaming how hurt they are with big toys. Amen to that. <laughs> that affects millions. Of, millions of yeah, people. Exactly. So that's why I think I wonder what society would be like if we turned towards these things, if we got rid of the stigma, bias, and fear. I wonder what would happen. And there's always the law of unintended consequences. You could make things worse, um, but it's something we haven't tried. And so that's why I started the greatness movement. It couldn't hurt. It seems like the next best option to me, at least. Hey, well, let's roll this journey on together and see what we can find at the end of it. And God bless Kenny, that your part in, in what you're doing too. Kenny, thank you so much for your contribution on this episode. Really fascinating story. And for, as I said earlier, for those people who are interested in your book and your work, we've got the notes in the show notes so that they can get those. And the, uh, the book I read whilst on a flight to Australia, it didn't take anything like the whole of the flight to read. It's a really good read. And it really will help you understand why you've made some of the choices that you've made in your life, why you are, in essence, why we're all a slave of the trauma that we suffered as children. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Great Escape Podcast. 
You can find other episodes at all the usual places on iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify or at the website greatescapepodcast.com forward slash episodes. And if you'd like to contact me to talk about any element of this episode or others have covered, please go to greatescapepodcast.com forward slash contact and you can find all the ways of getting hold of me there. And if you're stuck in a situation and you can't find the way out, please go there, send me a message and let's see how we can work together to get you unstuck and moving forward with your life again. Please do share this podcast with your friends and family, other people you think might appreciate it and comment on episodes or send me a message. I'd love to keep the conversation going.